Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Jesus Christ. This week, uh, tomorrow, St. Nicholas liturgy will be here at 10 a.m. and there'll be a reception for the children in the monastery after that. With luncheon, they'll have hot dogs and things like that. And uh, since we don't have a St. Nicholas, I will play the part and I'll ask some catechism questions. And of course, the parents can prompt me by giving me a card so I ask the question that they remember. You know, just give me a little card. And there'll be little, uh, there'll be food and there'll be crackers, I guess, for the children. Behold the virgin to conceive and bear a son, and he would be called Emmanuel. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. So we're all getting excited now because we're approaching the great feast of the incarnation of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, the gospel was uh, this morning was penitential, and the other one was for St. Sabbath. It's his feast day. We call him St. Sabbath, the sanctified, and he founded a monastery outside of Jerusalem in the desert, and it's still there to this day. And he was a great monastic and great teacher and a great ascetic. We could all aspire to those things, to the holiness that was like his. I like to say about holiness that Holiness is when a person becomes mature, when they reach their potential in the Christian life. And so until we do that, we're really not a whole person. We have to live in such a way, ascetical life, that God's grace penetrates us and sanctifies every bit of us. And that's a very uh, basic Christian way of thinking about asceticism. It's what makes you holy, makes you lovable and pleasing to God, and also makes you interesting to other Christians and a witness to them. I'm afraid that um, minimalism has struck the church very drastically, and this minimalism is not good because the church is not producing, I don't think, the saints that it should be. So the, what is the job of the church? It's to produce saints. In the regeneration, they should be saints. They may not be as famous as St. Sabbath, but they'll be loved by God. Why does he love them? Because he sees the image of his son in them. So Emmanuel is God amongst us, 
but I can say it this way. Emmanuel comes to us to reveal the Father and to sanctify the sinners. So we're all sinners, we know that, but it doesn't have to remain that way. We should make an effort to live the ascetical life, and in doing that, we'll find our own happiness and we'll be more lovable to God. I've been reading about the early church and what, what was it like? It's interesting, the people, they were in sort of arguments once in a while about Arianism and things like that, especially by the fourth century. But those issues were solved by 325, the Council of Nicaea, and then First Constantinople at 281, which made it clear to us Jesus is truly God and truly man, and uh, the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Blessed Trinity. So some people um, forget that our God is this triune God. And at uh, Christmas time, celebrating the fact that he came, was conceived, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he became man. So I've told you before, the primal sacrament of the church is Jesus Christ. And all the other sacraments are gestures that he instituted to share his life with us, not just his human life, but his divinity. So the other fathers told us about the hypostatic union. I've been reading this week that he was not the only hypostatic union. He was the first hypostatic union. But what he is by nature, we become by participation in his divine energies, the deifying energies that make us part of the life of God. The great saint, Russian saint, Seraphim Asarov, he was talking with, with his, one of his friends, and they were sitting outside in the cold, snow only going all around them, and they were talking, the one was trying to tell Seraphim he, what a terrible sinner he was. And Seraphim was talking about him, about the life of the Holy Spirit. And both of them were surrounded by the Taboric light. So they couldn't have been very great sinners because the presence of God was with them. And Seraphim, in his conversation, said, what are we here for on this earth? It's to require, acquire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So everything we do, our life is, should be the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And I know we struggle for many other things, but the most important thing we must struggle for is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they are many. And they are varied for each Christian. So you have a, a holiness that is tailor-made for you. And that's why you were born. That's why you came into this world. And that's why you exist in the Holy Church. Now, at this time of year, it's exciting. So you can uh, talk about incarnation of Jesus Christ, very important. But you should remember that he is the hypostatic union, but you participate in that, that hypostasis. You participate in it. But he is by nature, you become by participation. Well, you can't say that you're God, that's not true. But those holy graces of God, he shares with you the uh, divine energies. Gregory Palamas was the great father of uh, teaching us about the divine energies. The nature of the Trinity. Trinity has creative energies, has made the world and everything, but he has sanctifying energies, which make a person holy. And he sent his son into the world at Christmas time, we like to say, to share with us our, our participation in the divine energies. So that's what your life is about. That's why the reason you are here. So you should think about that too in your meditation as we prepare for Christmas and you celebrate the Feast of Light. Now the Feast of Light, we say Christmas is the Feast of Light, and we decorate the church with candles and these little twinkle lights and things like that. Because, but the greatest light you can have is the light in your soul. So when the apostles were walking along and they were lamenting what had happened to Jesus, he revealed to them who he was by showing them the light. And then on Mount Tabor, he went up the mountain and uh, Peter, James, and John were there, and Elias and Moses, and they saw him in the Taboric light, his beautiful light that comes forth from the Holy Trinity to the gift of Christ. And they fell down to worship him. They were going to make booths for him to stay in, and James and uh, Moses and the prophet. By the time they got up, he the light had gone away, and so had the signs. So that sign tells us that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and that he is that fulfillment by bringing to us enlightenment. That enlightenment can be seen physically in some people. 
some great saints like Seraphim and his friends. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, a great light shines around them. That's why we put halos around saints in the church and say that they have a share in this taboric light, a share in the light that comes from Christ, this incarnation and sanctifies us. We also see it again as um, the fire at Pentecost, when the fire comes down upon the apostles in the forms of tongues of fire. And there's a story of a, a, a desert father, and they, people were inquisitive about him, and they wanted to see his holiness. So he raised his hands, he clicked his fingers, and fire came forth from his fingers. The light, the taboric light, was in him. That taboric light is a sign of your participation in the life-giving energies of God. Through that sanctification that Christ comes to us, brings to us by the incarnation. His holy desire is to make us all, I should say, a light to the world. Now we don't always show that taboric light, but it can inform our hearts and purify our souls and keep our will under control where you no longer have such a tremendous struggle with your passions. I was reading something the other day about passions. Adam and Eve were not passionless because they disobeyed God. So they chose their own will instead of God's will. Some people do that. They're trying to bargain with God. You can't bargain with God. You have to do his will. Beautiful. But anyway, <clears throat> all the great saints demonstrated this knowledge of God, infused knowledge they got from reading scripture, and the light of revelation in them, the Taboric light. Now, all of you are capable of that because you're baptized and chrismated. And you were chrismated, you're giving these gifts to the Holy Spirit, but you have to work with them. So at Christmas time, we contemplate the beauty of Jesus Christ, the wonder that he came to save us sinners, and the most beautiful thing he desires our salvation. Jesus Christ has a mystical body. It's made up of us, because that life that's in him is in us through participation in grace and the Taboric light. And he wants to bring this all to the throne of the Father. Sometimes I talk to you about the book of the Apocalypse, in the book of Acts, 
and the revelations of Christ in his heavenly light. And he always is surrounded in the heavenly light that is Taboric light. So you should grieve, not be sad, but grieve until you get all those beautiful gifts. Now, will we all get them at the same time? Or no? So I was reading, it depends upon two things. Your fidelity to the true faith and your good works. Faith and good works brings about salvation. James teaches us that. Because people of not of the Catholic faith or the Orthodox faith, they argue about that. They think that faith, you know, is sufficient. It's not sufficient. You must live that faith and do good works. So sometimes when you're praying, and you should pray frequently, you talk to God about these things. And ask him how you're doing and how your heart feels, how warm or cold your heart is towards him. Sometimes we feel closer to God. Sometimes something's wrong, we're upset, we don't feel so close to God. But God is always with you. Elizabeth and I know of a lady. She used to come to our church. She was in icon class, and uh, she used to go to the monastery in the Redwoods. And she had a good friend there, father, another father, Joseph. And she got uh, bad, bad cancer. And it was um, very painful. Anyway, Father Joseph was her um, spiritual father. He prayed for her. And uh, she would come to our liturgy. In fact, I had her funeral. She left it in her will that she wanted a Byzantine Catholic funeral, and I was the priest that did that. And after a while, she, was, she said to me when she was still alive, and she, had, she hung on for quite a, quite a while, actually. She says, you know, I don't feel the presence of God. That's a problem. She says, why do you think I don't feel the presence of God? I've always felt the presence of God. So I thought to, I prayed with her a little bit, I thought to myself, because he wants you to come home. He's calling you home. You're sick, you're suffering, he wants you home. He wants you to do something else. And shortly after that, I don't care, I don't know if it was because of the prayer or what, she fell asleep in the Lord. So sometimes there's a couple of reasons why we don't feel the presence of God. One is we don't give enough time to it. And the other reason is that it's not, you know, we don't always get these wonderful revelations day after day. 
but occasionally God reveals himself to us in his sanctifying love and it makes our hearts pound makes us grow in love with God we can't really say how much we love God it's a gift of God to us but we all can say in our prayers that we love God we can also say at this Christmas time, the virtue of hope is present throughout the world because Christ is the light and life of the world in the most sublime way, not through things or wealth or stuff, but through the presence of his life-giving presence in our heart and, of course, when we receive the Eucharist. And we should think of those things. So one of the things you can do in preparing for Christmas is have special prayers in your home. I think on the computer there's a, a, a mullabin service to the incarnation of Christ. You don't have to take the whole thing, but you could take part of it each evening as you prepare for the coming of Christ. The second thing we can do is um, we can put up our lights and things like that, letting our light from our home light up the dark world and tell us that, that we are Christians. And remember that same light must be burning in our heart. The third we think can do is that by our patience with each other and our love for each other, we can demonstrate our love of Christ in the people around us whom we love. One of the problems I, I think that all of us have is sometimes we're not too good about letting the people around us know that we love them. You know, well, they should know that. Well, they don't necessarily know that unless you treat them in a loving way and you're patient with them. And especially now, we're getting ready for Christmas. Among the Ruthenians, everybody goes to confession, just like they would at Easter, to prepare for the celebration of the birth of the Savior. And you make a good examination of conscience and treat, treat your children to learn how to make a good uh, examination of conscience and prepare them and have them go to confession. So the most thing, perfect gift you can give Christ, the infant savior, is your perfect, beautifully clean, holy heart where he can dwell and give you the energies of God and give you the love that you need so that you can love others. And then you can say, well, at least I'm trying to be a Christian. Now in the monastery, if one monk, uh, uh, you know, pops off or something or I pop off, I immediately try to go and apologize to that monk. 
immediately. Most of the time, everything is happy in the monastery. Once in a while, somebody pops off like me. Then I ask for that person's forgiveness. And at Easter time, if in the refectory, I wash all the monks' feet to let them know I am their servant and not their boss, although sometimes I'm very bossy. Things go better. Peace comes with forgiveness. So the problem with us is that we um, always have the same faults. We don't seem to conquer them. But you can conquer them if you make a deliberate effort to do it. And don't think that your wife has to love you, your husband has to love you, your children have to love you automatically. You must always be working for that love. Through you, they should learn the love of Christ. Saint Saba, the saint of the day, is still loving us. He's in heaven, a great mystic, founder of many monasteries. He took the love of the Desert Fathers and the early church and it became an institution of prayer and love, the monastery. Some people, if you ask them about their vocation, they should realize it's a gift of God. And it's also a gift of God for married people who have found each other, who are both Catholic and their children are Catholic. And they have to be evangelizers, those children. You have to teach them to be apostolic. Our children are our gifts to God. And when you go before the Lord, he will ask you how you raise them. And I know it's difficult because there are too many influences on them that are negative. But we are celebrating the incarnation, which goes on inside of us. Christ's incarnation was God coming to live in a human being. He's hypostatic. He's the first hypostatic union. And your incarnation is how you participate through grace in Christ's incarnation. And you must be just like Jesus Christ, forgiving, loving, and growing in the fire of the Holy Spirit, which has been sent upon us. I know you know these things. And I know you love Christmas, as we all do. And the fondest, some of the fondest memories of my life, as I've told you before, are Christmas stories of my own life. You're making the stories for your history. You're making the stories that you remember in your heart. And you're making the stories in your children's heart 
that they will convey to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. There is no Christmas without Christ, and he is the greatest gift of the Father, the incarnate one. There's nothing like going to confession, purifying yourself, having peace in the house, turning on the lights, and then to receiving Christmas communion, where Christ's body, soul, and divinity comes to you. It is the very heart of our Christmas message. So as we propose Christmas, then we have St. Nicholas tomorrow. It's a wonderful thing. Feasts of love are better than feasts of sorrow. Sorrow enters all lives, but sorrow must be turned to joy and love because Christ is born and risen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.